You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, guys. Land of Lakes podcast. Adam and Matt, where are you? We're here. You're there. We do two of these a week. Some weeks it is just a daggum drag, I'll be honest with you. It's like, why do we? why are we continuing doing two a week? You know? Because that's what they want. Yeah. They want that you threaten it on there. You threaten it on social media. I had a guy. There was a guy was talking a while back. One of our good friends, Hunter, was. he had posted something. And some guy, I don't remember what said, like, no fluff. Or I wish they'd stop fluffing it up or whatever. And it's like, gee, guy, um, we're, we talked for, well, we've been 30-minute podcasts here lately because we've been so busy. But two hours a week. I don't know of anybody who talks two hours a week about something as technical as habitat and and avoid fluff. That would be that would <laughs> that you might as well go to if you want two hours uninterrupted, no fluff. Go to a university. Oh, there's plenty of fluff there. I can promise. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, but at least you'll get it in a monotone. So well, that's it. That's yeah, right. With no jokes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Dry. Yeah. So I mean, for us. That's the, here we are, another podcast this week, um, hammering them out. My goodness, we've been doing this a while. We're way up there in podcasts now. I don't, even, I don't even know how many so far, but over, oh, over 350, I believe. Um, no, I kind of got lost in the transition to 350. There's way above that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. We're probably closer to 400 now, but it's hard to say, um, because uh, the numbers are off when you look at our our feed because we've we've been with Dan when we jumped mm-hmm. over on the on the network. So anyway, um, one thing before I forget, Legacy Twenty, right? Uh, Vortex Optics. Uh, Vortex 
apparel. Yep. Yep. Go if to you're it. looking for Vortex uh, apparel, head over uh, vortexoptics.com and uh, use the promo code Legacy Twenty to get some awesome, uh, awesome stuff they've got over there in the store. Um, you know, on the other podcast this week, we talked about uh, the first few days of hunting season and, and what we've seen. You know, Chad shot a nice doe. We've seen some nice bucks. Um, seen one shooter. Chad saw some shooters. Was that opening night that he saw the nice buck? He saw, he saw the the night though. The night before the opening night. night. No, because I went. I sat that field and I did not see them. It was like the night before that. Okay. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Or two so, nights before that. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. A couple nights. It was Sunday night, I believe, mm-hmm. when he went yep. and watched it. So. Yeah, um, and then season opened on Wednesday, so it was a couple nights before. Saw a nice buck, so we've we've got our eyes on some really good bucks. Cameras are showing up. Timber harvest is still going on on Whistling Woodlands, um, so that's been a kind of we don't have a ton of cameras out because we don't want them to get smashed um, yeah. with logs or skitters. So here we are. Um, but deer are, deer are starting to pile in here at Elam Ridge. We're starting to see a lot more activity daylight on cameras as well as in the back food plot. And then the lease is also lighting up. There's a lot of deer on it, but it's um, waiting for the right ones to show up before putting any pressure on it. Um, yeah. It's like new deer, I would say, every two or three days. Like, oh, don't know that one. Yeah. Don't know that one. Haven't seen you all summer. Where are yeah. you coming from? I put so, out some <clears throat> I put out some uh some more cameras on the family farm yesterday. Uh mm-hmm. I was out zip, zipping around doing some fence stuff for the cows and and uh so you know I'll be interested. I officially mock scraped everything and I you know Brett was asking me the guy that filmed me yesterday um if I put out mock scrapes and it was like I don't really know how to define a mock scrape other than what I'm doing is really just freshening up scrapes. I didn't hang any licking yeah. branches. I didn't. All I did was took historical licking branches that they've used in the past, and I made that the first scrape of the fall in that area. So, you know, and I knocked out, took the weed whacker, and I knocked out a bunch of stuff and uh, made it good and short. And uh, kind of the goal with that is it's not really a mock scrape. I'm just I'm opening up or activating the scrape that I want them to use first thing. Cause I feel like if I go in a month from now or a couple of weeks from now, and they're already using other ones around and trying to pull them over to the one I want might not be as successful as, Hey, we already opened one up. Yeah. One of the other things I've seen in the last couple of years, there's portions of the, the country where, um, testosterone's rising, velvet shedding, and they start to open up scrapes, obviously on their own. And I know there's some scraping happening now, naturally. Yeah. But when it's oh, really half rack. dry, he made a scrape yesterday. Say that again. Oh, half rack. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, but when it's super dry and there's no moisture in the soil to hold scent, I just I don't see them doing it nearly as much. Yeah. As, as when it's actually wet and I feel like it's useful for them to do so. Um, but regardless of that, if you do open one up and they frequent that area walking by using that licking branch, you can almost kind of jumpstart some of that. Like, oh, someone's 
in here. They at least open it up yeah. and start kind of u- utilizing it. So you do get that jump on it. But right, I don't, I don't say mock scrape is necessarily the, the best term for it. Um, now, you put out what I would call a mock scrape. Yes, I did. Yes. What I put out, T-post, saplings, wire to them, field edges, and to try and give another focal point for deer trying to survey a larger field on time lapse during the day, but then another focal point to capture them in the camera to survey that, that larger food plot. Um, those absolutely were mock scrape. And what's interesting about that, that was on the, the, the lease, there was a fire that went through there and a lot of the mid story and low hanging branches around field edges and, or just in the timber, they're gone. So there's very few scraping limbs out there. So last year, I, I cut a limb and then zip tied it to another tree as another mock scrape, just because the opportunities for scraping, they were just so few, but it just put it in an area that deer were crossing routinely and uh, got quite a bit of activity on it. And so it, I mean, however you want to, to do it, however you, whatever you want to call it, it works to congregate, slow deer down, get better images of them, yeah, um, and kind of give them that focal point to communicate. So, yeah. you know, we we do it a lot from a inventory standpoint. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and that kind of transition in, you know, cameras, adding cameras, doing all that thing, um, and and using trail cameras as a primary source of scouting for your hunting strategy at some point during the fall most guys deal with this week's topic and that being um nocturnal bucks nocturnal deer nighttime photos why is it occurring so you know if you've you probably here because you saw the title five reasons why your bucks are nocturnal um and, you know, we'll go through the top five reasons, in our opinion, of why your deer are nocturnal. Yeah, these these uh, are the commonly held reasons why that we can sit here and pinpoint that, okay, this is, this is likely. And if it doesn't fall under these five situations, sure, there's others, but, but I would say 85% of the reasons why are included in these top five. Yeah, they're just this is this is the common thing, and, and I feel like if you don't if you're not aware the 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 nocturnal nature, and I'm air quoting that of what you think um, is happening and occurring, that that can provide a lot of frustration or be the root of a lot of frustration for hunters. I mean, I got these deer and they're great and they're big and they're what I want to chase, but they're they're only nocturnal, and I think that can obviously create that frustration, but then be very discouraging um but there's so much more the good thing is to know that you're capturing them on camera but but to hunt them that's just not where you hunt them yeah so like so like don't be don't just take that for what it is and say oh well they're nocturnal it's not worth going in there after them or or I'm not going to have much luck here because it's just nocturnal movement blah 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 or or hunting them even though all the photos in that spot are 2 a.m. Yeah. Well, that's not where I'm going to hunt him. No. Like, at least I, I know he's in the area, but I got to figure yeah. out where he's at, where he's at least bedded down. And, and that, this is the, this is the whole point of the podcast is I feel like a lot of, 
a lot a lot of times we can look only at the trail camera images and just throw out the almost excuse of well he's just nocturnal or just accept it but there are way more there there is a lot more mature buck movement <coughs> than on, on in a daylight hour situation than a lot of people understand and i think that's agreed totally 100 percent a lot of it is simply because they're not, they don't know how to document properly and take that inventory of what deer are doing with trail cameras. They rely so heavily on trail cameras that they're placed in these set spots year after year, or, or just like the most commonly held, of course you're going to put it on a food plot or of course you're going to put it on that one crossing or something like that. But is that really where deer are daylighting a lot? Well, no. Yeah. So why do we expect them to be not nocturnal? <laughs> so right. many times, but but big deer move during daylight. I a hundred percent believe that, and and I believe that it's way more than people give them credit to. They're 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 wise and they're they're leery, but they move and they walk during daylight. That's right. Yep. So I, we got uh, a pretty good list here. No doubt. I think number one that, in our opinion, I feel like this is such. This is like you could end the podcast with this. Just this one. I um, think this of that eighty-five percent, the five, and, and I say eighty-five because I'm generous. I think it's more like ninety-five percent that the five cover. Number one, I feel like covers seventy-five percent. <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, I mean, uh, yes. I'll just say yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because number one, like, and and I would love to just go through all the others and compare to number one because number one sure. to me is the that's the that that's the meat and potatoes of all of it. Why are your deer nocturnal? Why are they only at night? Because they are number one bedded too far away. Yeah. And yeah. what do you mean bedded too far away? Meaning they're bedded a far a, a good ways away from that trail camera location. And I think that comes back, you know, we do our message and our business is focused so much on habitat and habitat management, natural resource restoration that we don't really talk a lot about our hunting strategy nearly as much as we could because like ultimately we were hunters first and because we wanted to be more successful hunting, then that led us down the path of understanding how to be more successful by manipulating the landscape. And here we are going, you know what? When you make dense cover and you stay out of it and you put it in locations that allow you to stay out of it and you use terrain features that here we are, we're on a hunting podcast talking habitat but and you use terrain features that we know deer like to bed in and we make dense cover there it's like boom our cameras are daylight our bucks are moving in daylight it's hot it's cold it's whatever the conditions they're still moving in daylight why is it it's the lockdown well you know what lockdown means to me they're closer to the bedding areas And, and and so why are your deer nocturnal oh yeah it's the october lull but my deer is still daylight why is that because Mm -hmm. i'm still close to bedding and so 
Why are my deer nocturnal? Because they're bedded a long ways from your camera. Well, I think I think that's a twofold deal. It's 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 about the proximity, so that so the distance, right, from your camera. But when you do manipulate the habitat in the manner that we talked about, you you're telling like you know where they're at. So many times with these pictures, you get clients talking about them or or you know listeners just just common discussions you might see on social media too is hey i got this buck it's it's um it's nocturnal it's like okay my first question to you would be where's it bedding and and the only statement or the only information that that they have is the fact that well i just got this picture like that's that's all i have there's no more information details about the deer itself it's just well he showed up here okay (laughs) That's not enough to go off of what what the habitat true habitat manipulation will do is dictate that you you will you will be the one saying this is where this is how deer are going to be bedded on your place yeah so you can change that distance from your camera location which obviously that's another point we'll get into later on but you you can easily change that by manipulating where the deer are and, but you have to know where they're bedded. You can't just guess. Yeah. And a lot of times I think too, the situation is they're bedded just off the property. They're not yep. even on you. Yeah. I mean, many, many times, even how many, I, we have a lot of clients who own pretty big properties and even them, Sure. Even they are going, yeah, this deer is, he's, he's not moving during daylight and we're going, he's probably on the neighbor, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a terrible, awful to think, to think that you own all that land and you can't even get them to bet on you. Right. Right. That's, that's the solution though. And, and I am totally guilty of that. Like. The the whistling whistling woodlands ranch is horrific for that. Has been forever. My family farm has been like that for a long, long time. Um, but it's changed pretty quickly in the last five years with some pretty aggressive cutting. Mm-hmm. And and but but let's truth let's be honest though with that too. It's not it's not to the point of being aggressive. Um, Big scale big scale right it's been aggressive yeah. in a couple pockets that you're that you feel comfortable sacrificing but not across the board and ironically that's where our best hunting has been that's yeah, funny how that works out yeah but back to the whole nocturnal thing is guys they're better too far away they're they're, co- they're traveling a distance from wherever your camera is and i would say majority of cameras are placed on food plot locations destination type food plot locations and with that being said that kind of combination automatically puts them on 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 those locations late into the day i mean most of the activity is going to be at night or the last little bit of night so do you expect it to not be nocturnal i mean especially when you don't know where it's bedded of course it's going to be nocturnal right that's, yeah. that's kind of a function of where they're at. But, like, you, you've got to be able to cut down the distance of bedding to food to increase daylight activity because right now big bucks are moving during daylight. 
they're going to be doing the same thing in October and November and the rest of the month of the year. They do it. It's just oftentimes they do it in areas that are very secure. And there's not a lot of places that have the combination of security and quality cover that will encourage that daylight movement. Yeah. But that's where that habitat manipulation comes in. Yep, totally. Um, number two. Number two, what we got? Uh, pick your poison here. I think number two would be um, out of the core area. Mm. And, yeah. uh, you know, we use the term a buck's home range and a buck's core area. You could look at it from, you know, a cracked egg in the pan has the white, which is the his home range and the core area being the yolk, um, yep. the yellow part. Um, the white part's good for you, but not as good as the yellow part. That's right. I was <laughs> going to say more dense nutrients. Yeah. yeah, that's. I was going to say, you know, the good flavor, the good flavor of the <laughs> of the egg right there in the yellow yep. in that core area. Um, that's you know sunny side up baby. Uh, let me dip my toast in there, oh. and uh, uh, so you've got your core area. And a lot of times, these are those mid, to me, these are those uh, bucks show up, they've just shed their velvet, and they're shifting around in their fall winter ranges, and all of a sudden you get a few pictures of a buck, but it's in the middle of the night, and you're like, what in the world? You know, that's a that's a deer that's not in his core area. He It's in his home range, and it may be the very outskirts of his home range, but it's not definitely not his core area. So therefore, you're only getting pictures of him. When it's middle of the night and he makes those big walkabouts and he ends up on your place. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's usually the nighttime and it's not a frequent thing. It's yeah. very infrequent. It's, man, that buck shows up every every couple of weeks. I'll get pictures of him. Okay. He's not choosing to spend the majority of his time outside of his core area. It's still within his home range. But, again, going back to proper habitat manipulation – you can dictate that selection of habitat and then shifting of home ranges, core areas, when there's different resources across, let's say, a square mile, right? So if you've got neighbors and all of you, your properties look roughly the same, you all are all offering the same resources available times of the year, there's no, like, rhyme or reason for the selection uh, uh, from a deer, Right. So it all looks the same. Why would they do anything different than they've done? But when you start going in there and being aggressive, you can change where the yoke is um, and where I think I want to say a lot of the core area um, <coughs> movement, not the home range, but the core area movement. Uh, I want to say that's that's 65 plus percent of their time being spent. And that's through you know GPS tracking. It's yeah. a, and. and some sometimes those core areas are are forty acres. Sometimes they're they're you know forty to hundred acres inside. So if a deer spending sixty five plus percent of its time at the core area is that small of an acreage, then that is awesome. I think from a hunting standpoint, I'd want to hunt that deer. I'm yeah. not going all over God's creation. He's pretty tied close to that, but. You just have to have those resources that attract and make sure that they're not traveling, you know, miles to get what they need or, or across property lines to get what they need. Pack it in. 
create that density that 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 they need from a um, resource, food resource, and cover resource, and security resource, and then you'll change that game. You'll change the well. He's not on your place anymore. So infrequent. It's more frequent. That's what we all want. Yeah. It's it's funny, Adam. How many how many things. And I know, I know. Obviously, our our business is roughly, you know, habitat manipulation, but but these aren't just like, oh, things that are we're just throwing out as possible solutions. This is the solution. Like like, it's not like you can go and create a mock scrape, and or put a mineral out, and all of a sudden these home range home ranges are going to change or or he's going to now start coming to this mineral block at the destination food source in the daytime yeah no that's not that's not a solution that doesn't fix stuff that doesn't it it not at all food plots amazing looking food plots doesn't change that um mineral feeders all that stuff can help try to change it but it still doesn't fix the overall problem it's a band-aid on a bullet hole (laughs) <laughs> yeah and i want more bullet holes dang it yeah oh man so yeah that 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 one right there you know out of the core area uh that that one you know those two things you, you know the, the, those two right there can can be it like wrap the podcap stuff wrap yeah. slap your hands wash your hands be done with it um but we got five of them why? Yep. Because we thought five sounded better than two reasons why. <laughs> yeah. um, so and, and, and they're not. It's not like they don't have a have an impact, but it's it's just that the situations that most people find themselves in, these aren't the most influential variables no. in the whole equation. Yeah. So the other thing, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say it because I feel like this is number one in most people's head of why they're deer are nocturnal. Yep. Pressure is too high, meaning I've hunted him too hard. I've alerted him too much. Uh, the neighbor's dog's running through and pushing him off. Uh, you know, my my cousin keeps hunting the farm. My cousin keeps hunting the farm when I can't hunt it. Uh, the too many dang coyotes. Uh, I guess when you're talking negative about them, uh, too many coyotes. Um, yeah. All those things. The pressure's too high. Um, not saying that that this doesn't create nocturnal bucks, but it's a very smidgen of the pie graph. It's not a big thing in our opinion that really plays into making deer nocturnal. Um, we believe that the first two, they're bedded too far away. Now here's the thing, pressuring your deer can cause them to bed in other places. And then therefore they're nocturnal because they're bedded too far away. Right, it, they they seek refuge farther away from where they had been normally, yeah. and and is that a function of pressure? Yeah, that is a function of pressure, but it's also a function of distance and spatially moving farther away, and yeah. and it's also a function of crappy habitat because right. what what deer will do is tolerate way more disturbance and pressure if adequate quality cover is present. I mean, you you could get away with so much more activity on a farm if your woods aren't a park, opposed to thick, dense bedding areas. Yeah, it it, it, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure that one out either. Um, 
but you they just tolerate so much more activity so that pressure one man i mean that that definitely is default number one i think for for a lot of people and in high high deer i mean high uh, hunter density areas I, I think it does have a stronger play than others but that's at very certain times of the year there's there's people right now who their season hasn't opened and they're sitting there thinking oh, man this deer's just nocturnal yeah well, where's the pressure guys yeah where's the pressure he's not nocturnal it's one of the other factors yeah and and um so we we see that and hear that from from hunters when it's not even uh, a variable because there's no one hunting deer at those time frames. Yeah, yeah. So I next mean, up, pressure too high. That's just oh, unless you had more you wanted to add on that one. Well, I was. I was you want to beat say, this dead horse? <laughs> I was just gonna say, if if the pressure's too high, the only other way to solve that is reduce the pressure on your place because you can't control what the other people are doing. Um, and I think when you have a high, typically when you have a high pressure area, you have smaller parcels and a lot of hunters. And so if you can be a 40 acre chunk or an 80 acre chunk that's surrounded by pressure, you just back off. And now you've become the place where these nocturnal deer are seeking. So yeah. you can play it kind of two ways. It, you know, even in high deer density area, I mean, high hunter pressure areas, you just have to know how to play the cards right and turn that nocturnal movement into daylight movement. Because again, even in gosh, during the rut, even during even in high pressure areas, bucks still move during daylight. They do. No doubt. No doubt. Um, what's, what's number four? Number four, temps too high. Meaning, mm-hmm. you know, I think of uh, October Lowell. Whenever, sure. you know, temps are just too high. Now, certainly, let's just draw up the perfect world, the perfect farm, and say, you know, between the, where this deer beds 75% of the time from September 15th, October 15th, um, I'm just pulling out a a month-long window there um from where he beds and where he typically goes playing it by the numbers three out of five days it's 150 yards so out of those three out of the five days let's just say seven i guess so four out of the seven days given the week so there's 16 days in in that 30-day window that he's in this food plot during daylight that's, I mean, that's pretty good odds. Sixteen days. Yeah, I, 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 a lot of guys would shoot for those odds. I'd hunt that. If if you were to experience higher temperatures, yes, I believe that you would not see him there sixteen days out of the thirty. I think it would knock it down because there's days he's going to lay in his bed and hang out a little bit longer, and yep. it would take him longer to get there, or he may take a more shade shade-ridden route down to the food plot um, because it is so hot. So certainly temperatures can have an effect on daylight activity and why they're not in front of your camera during daylight. Uh, It's a very small scale. I don't feel like it's got a huge attraction because deer still got to eat. They still got to, they're still going to move. They're not going to lay in their bed 
day-to-day function too. I mean, yeah. it changes so much. And and so to say that he's nocturnal because it's been hot, well, man, two weeks ago there was a cold front, and he, and he didn't show up. You still weren't getting so like, daylights. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. So, it, But it can play a role in, let's say you do have him three out of five nights, and you're like, man, I'm going to go in, but then that night you chose to hunt, it's hot. I wouldn't be hunting over the destination. I'd try and cut him off. I just don't think he's going to get there in time. That's right. Yep. So, you know, tip's too high. And last, lastly, number five. I could do a master course on this topic where guys just pay, they come to my farm, and I spend two days showing them this technique because, oh, my, this is so bad. This is like a problem. It's like a virus that has taken over the hunting world. People just don't know how to set up trail cameras. Nope. So number five being your camera is in the wrong place. I I would think, honestly, let's say this. Okay, so <clears throat> I would put this easily on, on probably number three or four on the list. On, on the list of the top five here that we've yeah. got. I mean, this one is this one is very big. Second or or excuse me, third, I think, to the habitat. Yeah, the habitat's number one. But then, honestly, <laughs> to document and to know how to frequently get deer on camera is a. I don't want to say it's a skill. Eh, I guess it's a skill because a lot of people don't have it. But they're just in some bad places to to try and get the information that as a hunter you're seeking yeah and and there's a lot of guys that i openly admit they don't know how to set up cameras i've written management plans and drawn up maps where i laid out camera locations yep not because you know uh, because they asked me they were humble enough to say i just don't feel like i get this that well can you please put on the maps camera locations like, sure, I had no idea people really wanted that, but I'm here right. to help you. You hired me to help you. So let's do it, by golly. Yep. And, uh, you know, that goes to say we've traveled all over the country, and I've hunted a lot of farms over the years, and I've seen camera locations set and setups, and there's, some, uh, there's more bad ones than there are good ones. Yes. I mean, and, and, and how many think, times, think, Matt, on a consult, do you go by a camera and you say, what are that? What are they even looking at? Right. <laughs> Hooves? <laughs> yeah. Face in the ground. <laughs> are we, yeah. Are we looking for ticks on top of their heads? Yeah. I, uh, I think. <sighs> I was supposed to say this. Well, we sound pretty awful this week. Ago, Say again. I said we sound pretty awful this week. <laughs> I'm coughing. You're snotting. And... Yeah, I think that for many years, uh, articles and and just the general flow of the use of trail cameras was to only place trail cameras where or where you can get to them easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was very low intrusion camera placements and i think that that set a tone for um 
a lot of poorly placed cameras. And, and I would say to a lot of people, let's say you have 30 cameras on your place. Give me 15. Yeah. And place right. And sell the other ones because half of them are just in the wrong places that you're not going to be able to get the type of information that you're looking for to then know what's happening on the property. And so you, you started out with, as people were learning and getting cameras out, that it was very, you know, be low intrusion. Um, don't even hardly step off the buggy to you know, off a road system to, to grab a camera. I was like, what? No, now, especially when we have technology like a cellular camera or the cutting link system that links cameras up, you better believe those puppies are going in areas that my gosh, I, I don't, I don't personally want to step foot in, but I get the information I need to out of them. Yeah. Like that's, that's, if you have a tool and you're, you're not utilizing the tool to, to its fullest capability, then you're just cutting yourself short. And I think that's, that's the issue with a lot of camera placements. And so therefore the end result is what nocturnal pictures and that deer really isn't moving or isn't nocturnal. He really is moving during daylight, but not where you have them set up. That's right. So it could be on the edge of a mediocre food plot. And you're like, how oh, he's nocturnal. Well, Why he's moving he in the day like crazy up there in the other field. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so real quick, real quick, because I, I think people, we don't talk a lot about that, that, that note there, Adam. What is, what is your, one of your favorite camera type setups that you're looking for? Um, that you're like, okay, this is going to be a good one oh. throughout the fall. So my all time, and, and this has come over years. I mean, uh, I don't want to toot my own horn. I'm not doing this. I just want people to understand how long I've ran trail cameras. I bought the very first one. um, So I'm 34 now, and I believe I was 11 when I bought it. So 23 years of using trail cameras. Um, And I've used almost every main brand. Reconics, Cuddybacks, Bushnells, Radix. Uh, Browning, Moultrie. Stealth Cam, Moultrie, um, lots. Yeah, I think that's pretty well the gist. Um, sorry if there's other ones out there that I didn't mention. Um, I know there are some new ones. Um, so I've used a ton of trail cameras over the years, and you know worked worked with companies or properties that had. Dozens and dozens and dozens of trail cameras. So running them has been a, a big part of my job. And now it's a big part of my, like on my own farm monitoring populations and, and herd dynamics and different things. So I absolutely, it's one of my favorite things to do on a farm. So if you're asking me my favorite absolute setup to getting deer and building a hunting strategy, it's not food plots. It's not roads. It really comes down to a simple location in conjunction with dense cover and i believe in my opinion if if i could draw up a perfect and, and world topography and we'll throw that one yeah could be topography it could be topography or it could be a little opening but there's one thing that comes uh, two things that really come into play and it is and this is during the fall 
because there's other year, other times of the year I have different ways of liking it. But if it's during the fall, let's just say September to December, my favorite thing, two things come into play. Or I guess my favorite location uh, for using trail cameras, there's two things that come into play. It's proximity or relationship to dense bedding. And number two being scrape, mock scrape, some sort of communication. I look at it like this. If I'm close to, if I go on to a college campus and hopefully my wife can't hear me through these walls. I mean, I'm going to say I'm now 19 rolling onto a college trying to find a date. And I'm like, where's the most foot traffic? Where's the best place to, 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 to meet girls? Where am I going to see them? constantly the front door to the dormitory, the front door to the dormitory <laughs> but better yet where's a spot they would slow down step inside the dormitory find the lounge find the bulletin board you know the dial it back because now it's all digitalized digitized so but go back the cork board the, the cork board that's board. got all the all the like <laughs> events and all the things coming up convocations all those. I mean, that's all really, listed. You're really showing your age right now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but that's where it, that's where you go. So I'm trying to find the dormitory, and then I'm trying to find the bulletin board that talks about all the events coming up and who's all here. So and and all the all the classifieds. Um, and so, and, and I, real quick, I, I want to say this: that doesn't happen on the main roads of your farm. And on the edges of the food plot, no. You can capture deer on the on the edges of food plots. Absolutely, they work scrapes there totally. But guess what? A lot of it can be nocturnal. Yeah. But to kill them, we're not killing them at night. We're killing them legally, and that means they need to be placed off those edges. So it's not to say that deer won't be there. You can get them there, and you can get great camera uh, photos. But we're talking highest probability and capturing the most useful information happens in these locations so i think of a couple places couple camera locations really stick out big piney really sticks out that's where i shot my buck last year that was probably our number it was in our top three i think it was our number one camera all fall last year a little bitty opening maybe an eighth of an acre right next to a bedding area that we had cut out that fall or that that previous february so really dense cover little opening with some scrapes in it. So it was like, who's in the area right next to this bedding area? Go check the scrapes. Because whoever's been here has been in these scrapes. They've made, they went to the bulletin board, or they've went to the front desk, and they've signed in. They've swiped their card, and they've came in the dorm. That's where they're, that tells me who's here and who's not. When you have known bedding, just outside on the fringe of that somewhere, yeah. And again, you have to have known bedding on a scrape. A, a, a term, I mean, a permanent feature on a property it can't just be like wide open timber. Yep. A known bedding area, good cover. There will be a big main scrape there coming out of the heaviest use trails. That's where we're talking. Yeah, yeah. And another another one is a saddle. So going into that terrain feature, if you've got a saddle, let's just say. One of my other favorite ones is South Saddle on the Whistling on Whistling Woodlands, where we've got you know not even that dense of cover, 
not even that dense of bedding, but they bed on it because it is in a really nice terrain feature. Um, and there is some younger vegetation that grows in there. So they bed there and then they cut through that saddle because every other part of the ridge is pretty high. So they take the path of least resistance and they shoot through the saddle and it's a great place. So we put up a big scrape, they roll through it. We don't have a camera there now because of the loggers So whatever. I'm not bitter about it at all, but, um, that's another phenomenal one. So they, if you're taking it from me, where, uh, where would I have my cameras? If I had a choice, it would be in dense cover right next to, or it would be right next to dense cover on some sort of mock scrape or scrape to really check who's who's been in there. So main takeaway of the podcast is if you don't have Improve no your bedding, habitat. <laughs> stop complaining about bucks being nocturnal create it move your cameras yeah. to the right places and if it's still an issue then let's dive deeper we'll discuss that on a later podcast and help you on your property yeah but until then that's number one you've yeah. got to have it you got to create it and you have the power to do so because yeah. it's just a matter of cutting trees you're, you're a private landowner yes okay and your bucks are nocturnal yes your fault <laughs> right <laughs> I mean, right at the, yeah. at, the, at the end of the day that's what that's what we're saying but it doesn't have to be that way yeah this is important of realizing that it is that way and that you are the one who is in control of it take the next step and change it yeah happy to help yep. you yep so hopefully that helps everyone in the whole nocturnal <laughs> realm and and, the, and all the the fury that that's going to come out in the next let's say month and a half of, of social media and this and that and questions that come up, make sure you identify these five points and see where you fall into it and make the necessary changes um, for the upcoming seasons. But hopefully that was helpful guys. Yeah, no doubt guys. We appreciate it. We'll catch you next week. See you.